Well, this book, Change or Die, was written by Alan Deutschman, and his studies were, even if somebody faced life or death, would they change if they were able to change things on their own? And for instance, he followed different studies by doctors of people that had heart problems and were told if they didn't make life changes, they'd have to have open heart surgery. But they were told if you do a few simple things, you won't have to have the surgery. And those things were they'd have to exercise, eat healthy, stop smoking for those that smoked, and learn how to manage stress in a healthy way. So people were facing a life or death decision medically. All they had to do was make some simple changes. They were told if you have open heart surgery, you would probably have to have it again in seven to nine years. So make these life changes. Your body will be healthy. You won't need the surgery. So what percent of people made the change to avoid having the surgery? Stunningly, only 5% of people made the change. What Alan Deutschman did was found a group of people, though, that changed at a greater rate. So we'll look at that group here in just a minute, talking about our own lives in the process. We're going to look at something Jesus asked, very pertinent question, and a somewhat strange story. But the question he asked for us in Advent, in any time of the year, is very pertinent. And that story is in John chapter 5, in the first few verses and what happens here is Jesus is walking through town. He passes a pool called Bethesda. And there's a man who we're told has been paralyzed for 38 years. And there's a story that people gathered around this pool because they believe the water had healing powers, but only certain times. And so people would try to be at the water at those certain times. And so let's pick up what happens here. John chapter 5, when Jesus walks up to this man, he's been paralyzed for 38 years. We're told this, John chapter 5. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? That is the question for each of us to stop and ask, no matter where we are in life. Do you want to get well? Now, certainly anybody that has an ailment wants to be over that. Anybody who has a health problem wants to be healed. That's not the context of what he's asking here. When Jesus says, do you want to get well? He's asking in the wholeness of life. And you're going to be surprised by this man's answer if you don't know the story itself. So, for instance, I'm sure you know people like this, but I've known somebody that had tremendous problems in their life for many, many years. What I did not know about this person was the anger that they had and carried for so long was due to a secret that they had kept. And I didn't know about this secret until one day, a gentleman came to my office and said he'd like to speak to me. And he said, you know this person that's so angry all the time and causes all these problems for so many people. He said, I bet you didn't know they had a son. And I said, no, I did not know that this person had a son. And he said, well, that's because many, many years ago, this person disowned me. They were very upset by some choices I made. I started to use drugs, but they didn't just throw me out of the house. They literally disowned me and said, I'm no longer their son. And he said, it's been two decades now and I still haven't 
been able to receive a letter in return from one I've written, no answered phone calls, no visits for 20 years. He said, I've been disowned by this person. That is a long time to carry any type of burden like that on both sides. When Jesus says, do you want to get well? This man in the story, 38 years, carried on this illness, this problem that he had. And for this person that I knew, 20 years of this, how long do people carry things? And that Jesus comes along and says, do you want to get well? And if that's where you're at today, understand something very important. Steve Malone puts it so well. He says, this is not really a simple question. Do you really want, and he gives some examples, to be healed of past hurts, set free from secret sin, to overcome addictions, your marriage to be restored, to put down bitterness, to be reconciled to your kids, to get a handle on your tongue? Do you really want God to be the center of your finances? Do you want to overcome that destructive attitude? Know the question, it's not as obvious as it seems. The Alpha, the Omega, the Sovereign King of the Universe looks at us and says, I know you want me to take care of your problem, but do you want to get well? Question we all have to ask on a regular basis, do I want to be whole? Do I want to be healed in the areas that need healing beyond just physical needs? And that's the big question. Here's the surprising answer. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Here's the man's response starting in verse 7. I have no one to help me. Someone else goes ahead of me. Right off the bat, the man does not say yes. He goes right into making excuses. Look at what Jesus says next. Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Here's what you have to understand about the next verse. In that first century culture, some people called Pharisees had some strict rules about what they said you could do on what they called the Sabbath or Saturday. In fact, they said you couldn't carry items. Now, this was not a biblical rule, but it was the rule these people had come up with. And they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus of causing trouble in town because they already knew he had followers and they were realizing people that followed them were now leaving them to follow him. So they wanted a reason to arrest him. So here's what they say to this man. He's been healed. He carries his mat and they say to him, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Verse 11, the man replied, the man who made me well told me to. Once again, he points at somebody else. He was told by Jesus, you can be well. He says, nobody helps me. Everybody gets in my way. When the Jewish Pharisees see him and accuse him of breaking the Sabbath, he automatically blames somebody else. He blames Jesus. That's the challenge in the picture. That's the challenge. Now you understand more why Jesus said not do you want to be healed, but he said, do you want to get well? We all have to stop and ask that question for ourselves. Let's consider another group that's often studied in the challenges of making changes. So for the medical studies, they found about 5% of people will make the life changes to turn their health around. Let's talk about the criminal justice system and re-arrest rates or recidivism. Those who leave prison or jail, within six months, 30% are re-arrested. Within three years, that number jumps to 70%. 70% of people re-arrested within that short amount of time. 
Keep that in mind. We're going to look at a different group in a way that we can see how we can come to a place of making that wellness with God's grace and help in our lives. Notice what happens in John as we close this story out. John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Again, Jesus has tried to help the man. He made excuses. Jesus helps him anyway. And he's now walking away. And we're told this. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning. Such a powerful statement. Stop sinning. Jesus says he's physically well again. He says, Stop sinning. You know, it's not that we don't have times we fall into sin, but it's not our core. It's not our center. We're now alive in Christ. And so the call for each of us, and we have to be very clear with that person in the mirror with these words, stop sinning. And notice what Jesus says next to him, or something worse may happen to you. What's the man's response to being called to account by Jesus? Verse 15, the man went and told the Jewish leaders it was Jesus who made him well. He's now upset. Jesus called him to account. So what does he do? He goes over to the Jewish leaders and says, that's the man who made me well and had me carry my mat. He's hoping they will arrest Jesus. Talk about a lack of gratitude. Talk about somebody so filled with selfishness that they can't see the reality standing before them. Which brings us back to Alan Deutschman's study. Well, what has to happen for people to really find the strength, motivation to make that change, even again, when it's going to be a lot of obstacles in the way. Here's where he found the difference beyond that 5% that would make the change when the doctors made suggestions, beyond that 70% being rearrested. Here's where he found the difference. He said, here's the key. You want to know the group of people that makes changes at a much higher rate? He said, here's the key. They form healthy relationships with people that inspire and sustain hope. People that inspire them and sustain hope. As believers, we talk about living at a higher standard. That's one of the higher standards that we're called to live at, to be somebody that inspires others and sustains hope. Even in the face of great odds, it may just be coming along and saying the right thing to somebody at the right time. It may be helping them, you know, financially or just being there with some good advice. But again, it's somebody that inspires another person and helps them sustain hope, even in great odds. When people find a place like that, a relationship like that, that's when they blossom and grow and make those changes. And if you're wondering what's the best way to make those positive changes, find a group of people Find a body of believers that can inspire you and sustain hope in you. And then seek to be that person for another, sustaining hope and inspiring them as well. Now here's the reality. Marshall Hayden wrote this and he called it Any Non-Hurters. And maybe you'll hear yourself in what he wrote. But here's what he said. When people come to church, they wear their best clothes and their best smiles. They look happy, but... Over here's a family with an income of $550 a week and an outgo of $1,000. Over there's a family with two children who, according to their dad, are failures. You're stupid. You never do anything right, he constantly tells them. 
Sam and Louise just had a nasty fight. Each is thinking of divorce. Last Monday, Jim learned he was being laid off. Sarah tried to hide her best, tried her best to hide the bruises her drunken husband inflicted when he came home Friday night. Then there are those of us with lesser hurts, but they don't seem so small to us. An unresponsive spouse, a boring job, a poor grade, a friend or parent who left us and is unresponsive. On and on the stories go, the lonely, the dying, the discouraged, the exhausted, the fearful. They are all here. Are there any non-hurters? How important is it to find people in your life, me and my life, that inspire us and sustain hope? And how important it is for us to be sustainers of hope and ones who inspire others as well. Which brings us back to the re-arrest rates. Within six months, 30% of criminals. Within three years, 70%. Till one person, Dr. Mimi Silbert, found a different answer. She opened in San Francisco what's known as Delancey Street. She believed that people can hold each other accountable, hold each other to a different standard. And when they do, inspire one another They'll have a different life. So she opened this rehabilitation center. No money comes in from the state. All the felons there make their own money. In fact, they all work hard together. It's a four-year program. And what they do is they run a first-class restaurant, a first-class moving company, a bookstore, and a cafe. And if you break the rules, you're out of the program. They hold each other accountable. They hold each other to a different standard. And what happened from that? Well... In the average prison, the re-arrest rate when a person leaves is 70%. The success rate at Delancey Street is almost that good on the other end. It's 60% success rate. That is absolutely incredible. I love what James Malinchak has to say about changes in life. He says this, you do not even have to believe that you can change. You do not even have to believe that you can change. You just have to believe that others have. That's why every week we discuss faith stories. We turn to scripture because when we see what God has done in somebody else's life, we know he can do it in our life. When we see other people overcoming great odds, we know that the same can be true for us. We talk about a different standard because that's what people need in our lives and that's who we need to be for others, but we also need to be that as faithful followers of Christ, inspiring others, giving hope, living in a place where Jesus says, do you want to get well? And we say, absolutely, I want to be whole in every area of life. That's why we talk about the four levels of love so often, because when people live at these low levels and don't understand why they have problems, hopefully it becomes a wake-up call, and maybe you can be used to bring some wisdom into that situation. So just a reminder, level one love, that's called infant love. It's a person who thinks all people are there simply to give to them and they don't give to anybody in return. Most people in our culture live at level two. Level two is this myth that relationships are 50-50. If that is you, you're going to have nothing but problems in your most important relationships. When we make level two love agreements, we call that making a trade. I will keep track 
I'll give as much as you give. If you don't give, then I won't give. It's where a lot of people live 50-50, and that's why so many people have relationship problems. Where do we need to live? At least level three. Level three says, the most important person in my life, their needs are my needs. Jesus talked about putting others first. That's what level three is. Level four is the spiritual love where Jesus had unconditional love for others. We all want to have more of that in our life. We hopefully visit level four a lot. Hopefully our core though is at least at level three. If you're at level two, I can tell you, I can promise you, you're going to have nothing but problems in your relationship. Stop and consider what you can do differently. You know, Jim Rohn said it well. We need to get rid of that if-only disease. The if-only, whatever examples come to mind, but when people say, you know, if only things had been different, or if only that person had said this instead of what they said, or if only I had been born in a different family, all those if-onlys, they do nothing but trap us in a vicious cycle. You know, most of us have seen, if not read, you know, some of the Chicken Soup for a Soul books by Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen. You know, they sold over 100 million copies, but you know, they had a lot of challenges ahead of them. They could not find a publisher and were rejected 130 times. Most people don't take two rejections until they give up. 130 rejections they took before they finally found a publisher to give them a chance with chicken soup for a soul. Now they've touched over a hundred million lives with stories to inspire people, to encourage people to live differently and think about others before themselves. Truly, the question comes to us, do you want to get well? As we close, I want to share something that Tim Laurie wrote. You can start this today, this very moment, if you're ready to say yes. I want to get well. It's very simple. You know, you think about what it is, your biggest problem, your biggest issue, your biggest hurt, your biggest struggle, and what would it feel like if that problem would just go away? How much better would your life be? And once you think about that problem or sin or brokenness, that if it would just go away, you know, you would feel your life would be much better. Number one, simply pray Lord, if you would just, and fill in the blank, what is it that you want God to do with that situation? What would make it well? Lord, if you would just, and fill in the blank. Second, ask God to speak to you about that problem today. Ask his insight into that circumstance, that situation. And third, take a moment and pray for somebody else that they also will hear God speak to them today about their problem. We can inspire others. We can sustain hope. Because when we answer that question, do you want to get well? And we say yes, changes everything. This is Derek Redmond, 1992 Barcelona Olympics, 400 meter race. He was favored to win as he was running down the track, tore his hamstring said it was pain like fire going through his body. Fell to the ground. The EMTs rushed out. He told them, don't touch him. Struggled to his feet in incredible pain and anguish. 
hobbled down the track. Out of the stands, a strong, burly man wearing a shirt that said, have you hugged your child today? Pushed through the crowd and past the guards, picked up his son and said to Derek, you don't have to do this. And Derek said, yes, I do. And Derek Redmond's father helped him to the finish line and said, then we will do this together. And the people clapped and then they stood and then they cheered and then they wept. And so it is for us as we hobble through those difficult times in life, our heavenly father comes along and says to us, be made well. You don't have to do this alone. Just begin today with a simple prayer. Lord, if you would just fill in the blank. Ask God to speak to you about that problem. And take a moment and pray for somebody else that they would hear God speak to them about their problem as well. And be ready for incredible things to happen when you answer that question, do you want to get well? With simply, yes, Lord. In Jesus' name.